Hey everybody, welcome to the Full Frame uh, Podcast. Could you just oh. uh, just uh, take, stop and take it from the top one more time. Okay, okay, you ready? Robert, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. I'm excited to be here, Zach. Um, we, for, I first heard about you um, through your AMA that you did um, a couple of weeks ago, correct? That is correct. I think that was probably two weeks ago at the time of recording this, that, uh, that infamous uh, afternoon session that, uh, oh my gosh, I, it, it got so big so fast. And I, I mean, I, I, I knew it was possible, but I was really expecting there to be like 50 comments total. Yeah, and yeah. so it's like it 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 blew up so fast, and I really had no idea why. And then very quickly regretted not having you know revised every single little word and every single little thing I said because I I, I thought it was going to go big in the filmmaking subreddit. I would chat with some filmmaking people. It'd be done in two hours, and I'd be done. But then yeah. you know, three three a.m. Monday night, and I'm still <laughs> sitting there typing away. So. Thank you for uh, making it a, a pleasant experience. Thanks for joining joining in on, on the, the more positive, constructive side. Well, it was it's a fast. Well, so give us the what is the what was the title of the AMA? Because I think it that's was. Um, I let's see. I was. I'm 24. I just made a my first movie for hundred thousand dollars, and it's projected to make its money back, and it beat out some some bigger competition. Uh, and, ask me anything about making a business plan and doing your own first film or first company. Right. Um, and, and so it was kind of cool because especially that last, I, I think that last sentence was really what made it, it, it for, for the most part kind of really was what I was trying to convey was like, listen, like I really am here to ask, ask me anything. I'm not, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely a plug for the movie, but, but I'm not here to, you know, just giving away fluff basically. And so it was cool. I had a bunch of people reach out about movies, but I also had like somebody reach out about like a restaurant in like Japan. And I had somebody reach out about like, like all these small businesses uh, also came to me too. And what the, the, the kind of cool thing is that, that, you know, feature films at least, especially at this low budget level are very much like startups. And, yeah. and so there really are a lot of things that the two of them share. And uh, so it was kind of interesting to kind of be like, okay, well, you know, you're, you're if, if you're starting say this restaurant, you know, uh, who is your audience? Who who do you who is going to be purchasing? You know, it's a restaurant, so you, you, people are going to come back. You know, it's almost more like television than film, where it's like, right. how do you get people to come back for episode two? You know, so yeah, it was it was quite the quite the experience. A lot of uh, interesting questions. Um, a lot of questions. I, I logged off for a little bit, and then that was when the the trolls showed up and just mm -hmm. totally totally almost took over. Um, and I had good questions for everything they said, but everything was so upvoted by the time I got back to it that I just, I, I didn't have a, I didn't stand a chance, but luckily like all the good questions, you know, I, I, well, I'm not that great at Reddit. So I was kind of like trying to figure out a way to make sure that everything was still compartmentalized so that if you wanted to, you know, bash me, you could do it in one part of the comments. And if you actually wanted to learn, you could do it in the other part. And so yeah. luckily, luckily there's a lot of good stuff in the more, uh, constructive, uh, part of the comments. And yeah, it was, it was my advice is do it and and uh, and I don't know I don't know my advice is do it and see what happens because I, all, all my other friends that did reddits of that type again had like a hundred upvotes they talked to you know thirty people it was you know they talked to people in the filmmaking subreddit and then it was done right and so I, I really came into it with like a glass of iced tea okay this will take me an hour hour and a half then I'll get back to my emails and then it, it got very quickly got out of control. So let's get let's jump back. Um, yeah, yeah. Where are you from? Did you go to film school? How'd you fall in love with film? All of that. So I I started with with movies at the earliest age I can I can remember, and that was probably the late '90s. So it's it, there were no camcorders really at that point. Everything was still on tape. Um, uh, film schools were definitely still teaching on actual film. Um, you know, digital, the first digital movie wouldn't be for another, you know, four or five years at that point until I think it was Attack of the Clones was the first one they shot on digital. Um, and that was 2002. So, so I was very much living in that uh, analog world, the magnetic mm -hmm. world. 
Um, I was I was running around as a kid with like my grandpa's like Panasonic cam that that taped to mini DVs. Mm-hmm. And a lot of those mini DV tapes I had taped over so many times by the end of it that they were it was just a mishmash of all the different <laughs> things I had tried to go film with them. It was it was a disaster. I mean, and my parents were nice to get me a new, you know, mini DV tape every now and again. But it was like the, at the rate that I was going through them, there was there was no hope. Right. Uh, right. My, my youngest my youngest memory is uh, of a it plugged into our TV. It plugged into the red, red, yellow, blue, or the, the red, yellow, white AV uh, plugs. And it was essentially a wireless receiver. And so I had this camera-shaped uh, uh, apparatus that would record, and then mm-hmm. it would broadcast straight to the, to the television oh, wirelessly. Cool. And the range was like 15 feet. So really, they should have just given it a wire and let me run around. But knowing it was for you know little kids, I guess they didn't want they didn't want them to hang themselves. I guess that's always the fear with little kids is yeah. they're gonna they're gonna Epstein. Um, so so I was running around with this little wireless uh, this little wireless thing, and and it was just the coolest thing to me that I could run around. I I could I could video something behind the couch, and I could look over and see it on our TV. Right, and like that just has always you know it's like that. And storytelling are the two things that I have always, always just loved on a very primal, you know, innate level. Right. Um, and I, I think that that all filmmakers share that and all storytellers share that where it's like, oh, I've just always done it, you know, yeah. and, and, and you know the difference because, you know, the people that haven't always done it but want to get into filmmaking are doing it for the reasons and they always kind of end up in other places as a result. They end right. up you know, whether it's, uh, you know, they, maybe they become an agent because they actually care more about the business, you know, or they, you know, just totally, you know, go into the, the corporate sphere because it's, it's, oh, I was just kind of looking at, you know, it's, it's, I just want to do a normal job, but you know, whatever, whatever may have you. And there, there's lots of great filmmakers that are agents and in the corporate sphere too. So I'm not saying that that's, you know, uh, the, the, the one way track, but basically it's like those, those two, uh, aspects were always with me as, yeah. uh, as, as far, as far back as I can remember. Um, and yeah, I, I grew up in Texas, uh, in, in, in Dallas, Fort Worth. So at that time and that in the early two thousands at that point, that was kind of when the Robert Rodriguez, you know, El Mariachi thing was really coming to its, to a head. That was right. the, the big, the big surge of UT filmmakers, the big surge of, Texas film credits came, you know, five, 10 years after that. And then mm-hmm. very quickly, very quickly died off and, and they're trying to get it back now. Um, but it was, it was, there weren't really, there were no resources in, in Texas for that, in, in Dallas, Fort Worth, that sort of thing. There were no, I mean, there were film festivals, but there weren't like youth film programs. There weren't, you know, colleges weren't totally jumping in on the film studies bandwagon like they have been in the past five years. Right. Um, so it was a, this kind of thing that I just did for, I mean, I just, every, everything I could do that involved the camera, that involved filming my three little brothers in the backyard, that involved, you know, watching a movie. You know, I came from a very, uh, you know, protective household. And so I really had to keep it to the, to the PG stuff. I wasn't, you know, I was, I was, it, my first PG-13 movie was, was, it was, a, was a big deal. Um, and then my first, you know, and I started off with, I think Die Hard was my first rated R movie in like seventh grade, you know, and I guess seventh grade is still young or old to start with rated R movies. I don't know what the kids are doing nowadays, but for me, I, yeah. I felt like I was ages behind at that point being like, oh, I can finally, you know, I finally just, you know, doing what I want. Um, so, so it was, it was a very circuitous journey at the same time. I mean, uh, you know, trying to get, you know, private, get scholarships to, to the private school where I was, trying to keep my gr- uh, grades as high as possible, you know, really trying to excel in the classroom. Um, I, I definitely was the, the straight A student, the spelling bee guy, the, you know, the, the nerd um, of sorts. And, uh, but, but I, you know, being in Texas, I, I started playing tackle football in middle school, and that was fun. And, you know, I wasn't definitely wasn't a, a social outcast because I was on the football team. Yeah. Um, and so I, I, re- I really was having a, a good time all around. And, and the, the video, the filmmaking was always just a hobby. It was always just something that I kept doing on weekends that I that I kept doing over summers that, you know, I, I had friends in middle school and high school that came came along who were who wanted to do it, too. 
um, started, you know, sort of a little film club in high school and, and would grab all my friends from the drama classes and put them in my, put them into my movies and things. Um, and, and, and every two years, every three years, just trying to find whatever the cheapest thing out there was mm-hmm. that was also new, um, in terms of cameras and just right. always getting a new camera, always getting a new, um, you know, in, in a very cost-effective way, always trying to upgrade what I had access to. And so I think eventually, you know, I think my parents must have been on some sort of corporate health uh, thing where they get points for like, you know, getting their Fitbit, right, for right. putting the steps on their Fitbit or whatever. And so they were like, hey, we don't, we don't need frequent flyer miles. We don't, we don't go anywhere. Do you, do you want to go on this website and, and see if they have cameras? And I was like, sure. And, and so I, I spent, you know, a thousand of their points on a, on a Rebel T2i, yep. Um, yep. which at the time, I think the T4i was brand new. So I was still, you know, <laughs> still behind at this point, but at least I finally had something that I could control the aperture. I could control yeah. the ISO. I could, you know, I really had the makings of a cinema camera for the first right. time. Yeah. Um, and instead I, of reading the instruction manual, I just, uh, you know, run, ran and run and gunned and wasted lots of time and lots of overexposed footage. Dude, I had a T2i. I shot a whole like hour long thing in college on it. Like it's a great, that was like a great little camera. It's, it is, it really was great. I, I still have it. I, I think I busted a, there, there is a busted pixel on it now. It doesn't take photos anymore. Um, <laughs> but, but it, it records video. And if I, if I ever need a B cam, um, It'll it'll always it'll always be there to to be cam. It, it's a good I kind of like it's all fun to like look at the new gear to, and you know you do it like every week you check what's new or whatnot. But I do hearken also hearken back to like God it was just so much so freeing and so much fun to just know you had that camera and just run out and go and shoot a sketch or a short and you yeah. Know, for a weekend and stuff it's so much fun. well and that was what the i mean i i think that the we always get into the the gear game and i think that that's what youtube has really turned into is the gear game yeah. and and i think that and i'm even i, I think i'm going to probably do a podcast with uh Zicudo, um mm. who makes the you know tripods and and and, and grips and stabilizers yeah. and all that sort of thing so it's like i'm li- I'm, I'm literally going to be you know broadcasting to the the gear uh crowd in in, in a couple months here and and there's totally pros and cons to it and and i think that um what's awesome about it is that yes there's always something new there's always something super cool there's always a new way to tell your story and i think that what i learned growing up was that the you know the the gear needs to match you you don't need to you know put all of your you know if if you're getting the gear to tell your story it's 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 not going to be good it it you, you should have made enough stories at this point that it's like, man, if I don't, if I don't have a, a slider, if I don't have a stabilizer to tell, I need something to tell this story, you know, and, and I've tried so many other ways. And it's like, so, so that was, that was the issues with me with cameras growing up was it was like, whether I was moving from the, the tapes to digital, whether I was moving from SD to 720 HD at each step, you know, whether battery life was going from 20 minutes to an hour, it's like at each step that allowed me to tell a new story right, um, right. in major leaps and bounds um, yep. because it's like you, you I mean, I was uh, starting off with, with a, with a 10 pound camera. That's got like a, a battery pack that weighs as much as the camera in the early thousands. And the battery pack gives you like 10 minutes of battery life. You know, it was, it was, that was nuts to go from right. that to, Oh, here's something that's one pound. The, the picture's worse that, you know, this is, it must've recorded like 320. You know, it was, it was, it was abysmal, but battery life was 30 minutes and it was like, cool, 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 cool. Um, so, so I think that, that, that's, that, that stays true to me now. And, and I really, I, I don't, um, mostly because I, I rental is so effective. Um, I, uh, a lot of the stories I tell don't need a lot of gear and because I don't have a lot of money to, to spend on gear right now. I, I really haven't bought new gear um, in, in the past few years. I mean, right. I got an A7S when I first got to, to film school um, or, or right after, right after I got a, a paid internship, which, you know, those are going away so fast. But I got a paid internship and I saved up for the A7S and I, 
And I got that and I've been using it ever since. So I think that was the last major, you know, gear jump that I made. Mm-hmm. Um, and I shot, a, I shot like a commercial last weekend and um, I went and I had lost like a, a little shoulder mount that I had used for years and years uh, when I, when I moved a couple uh, months ago. And, and I went back and bought the exact same shoulder mount because, yeah. because I, I, I had like, I, I did not need the nicer one to tell my story, even though I was going to spend money on one. Right. It was like, I, you know, what's the point of having the one that does X, Y, and Z when I know that, that this one tells the story that I need to tell. Sure. And, and I'm not going to need to tell a story that needs whatever in the next, you know, um, couple of years. So, yeah. So let was, me ask you this. Um, did you go to, so you, you did go to film school. Sure. So I I uh, I got a ta- I got a little uh, tangent on my autobiography there. Uh, I so so I so I did the 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 um the film club in high school. That turned into a little film class. I think the first film class in my high school was was two people. It was me and and another guy and our and our drama teacher who was kind of educating himself on teaching film at the same time that he was teaching us. But he'd been on Walker Texas Rangers, so he he knew oh, okay. he Very knew everything. Cool. He was he was he was our god. Um, well, we went to an Episcopalian school, so he wasn't our God. God was our God, but you, you, you know, you, you know, you know what I'm saying. Um, so, uh, it was a fun class. It was, it was just again, just, just a lab essentially, just a place right. to fail. You know, try and fail and try and fail. But, but what he did that was pretty cool was he, he made the syllabus based off of what the film studies syllabi that were coming out of the colleges in, in the early 2010s, gotcha. where it was like make a movie with that dialogue, make a movie you know, uh, that's a two person scene, make a mm-hmm. movie that has, you know, two scenes in it instead of just one, you know, kind of working our way up and starting us from basics all over again, right. um, make a movie for someone else. And so we, so we were like contracted to the middle school to go shoot a little documentary for them. And so it was like really getting a, it was, that, that was a cool class. And now that class has like 40, 50 kids in it and it's, and it's huge. Yeah. Um, and so it's cool to see that starting out. Um, so I went to USC film school. Uh, it was kind of at the end of high school that the college, you know, counselors were kind of like, okay, you got, you know, you got the grades you've managed to, you know, since, since, uh, you last mentioned on your, the podcast that you were an A student in sixth grade, you've managed to be an A student up until now. Um, and I was like, that's funny that you're predicting this podcast where I'm talking about my <laughs> grades, but I guess so. Um, but yeah, so I, so I managed to keep my grades up and do all the APs and all the stuff. And so there were a lot of, like academic scholarships and science and physics and that sort of thing that were coming my way. And, and so I really had this tough decision to make where it's like, I can't go into, you know, I, I could go into science and, you know, like I could go into two different sciences. I could, I could go into like, but, but there's no way to double major in science and, and filmmaking because right. in the end you're going to, you're going to choose one or the other. There really are no careers that combine the two. And if there mm-hmm. are, I didn't. I didn't want to be doing those. I, I couldn't see myself uh, making films that were super science heavy, right? You know, right. because it's just my my two interests were so far apart. And so I was bummed because I because I I realized you know after some really some thinking on it and and after all the offers to the colleges came in and I was like okay I did I did get into USC even though. I, I had very not much of a reference at all. Like I, I don't know how I did this, and I was expecting a no from all the film schools. Like why are you why right. are you making this so hard on me? Like I, I you know, and so eventually it was like you know what I God, I just I love movies so much and and I love this so much that you know I think that this is this is where I would really be happy more so than than just you know uh, than than in the sciences. Um, so that was a tough decision to make, and I really had to mm-hmm. give up you know that part of my dream where I would go into physics and do all that sort of thing. Um, But uh, I I went to film school, I picked, I had to choose between, I guess it was USC, NYU, I got rejected from, from, from plenty of them as well. But I think, I think the, the, the tough decision really came down to USC, NYU, and maybe UCLA, but UCLA's film program didn't start until junior year for undergrad. And so I, I wasn't interested in doing, in in not getting to start, you know, But but the hard part for me was that I got into USC's cinema studies, what was called mm-hmm. critical studies back then. And so I was and I talked to the advisor and I was like, so do do they get to take do I get to make movies in cinema studies? Or, you know, I know it's not production. I didn't get into production. And their answer was, uh, no. <laughs> which which actually was was not correct. I I got to make a lot of movies in cinema studies, but right. But it was a tough decision with that had being the only information that I had trying to be like, 
oh crap, you know, should, should I go to the the quote unquote top film school or should I go to a film school that will put me into a production course? Right. And and honestly, what it came down to was was that USC ha had given me some scholarships, which was super nice, super helpful. NYU hadn't get hadn't given me a dime. Um, and NYU was like misspelling my name and like invitation emails and like the, yeah. the, the counselor there, the advisor there was like, she, she spelled my name like Tobert at one point. And, and I was <laughs> like, oh boy, like this is, you really, no one here. And, and, and at the same time, USC's admissions person like personally called me and was like, hey, like we haven't heard from you or is everything okay? Do you have questions? And I was like, I've got so many questions. You yeah, know? And yeah. So, so it was it was just sort of that like that reaching out to me and that handshake and that like you know like we actually you know we we don't we we we're not going to carry you out to California but we do care more than just kind of you know blankly answering emails from you. Right. And so that was that I started at USC and I was in cinema studies and and I always thought about applying to to jump into the production major um but I actually was very happy in cinema studies because the the course load was so light that I could go and do a lot of film work independently. Mm, Whereas okay. I felt like a lot of USC production classes, um, and this, I'd be happy to talk more about, you know, the pros and cons of film school. Um, but I think that the production classes would have held me back a little bit, especially since I, I really did want to be a director. I've always wanted to be a director and, and not just because I want to be in charge, but because um, I, I'm, I, I'm very good at telling people what they're doing wrong. Um, and <laughs> that's, yeah, <laughs> uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I think that once I learned really what a director was, I, I, I came to that point in film school and it was like, oh, am I a director or am I just a cinematographer? Am I, am I a writer? You know, maybe I'm not any of these things. Um, but I think that knack was what I really enjoyed. And so that was why I stuck with it. But basically they only out of 50 students per year, per semester in the production program, Mm -hmm. When you get down to the senior thesis film, which is called 480, there are only three. There are only three 480s, sometimes four. Okay. And so it's like you're kind of you're in a, a major where at, at the at the beginning of your senior year, it's still 75 percent of the kit of the, the students in your major are still going to want to be directors. You know, it's right. like they, they won't have have lost sight of that yet, even if they're not good directors, even if, you know, whatever, whatever may have you. Um and so I, I just kind of read the tea leaves and I was like, man, even if I'm like awesome, if I just, if I just had, I'm not saying I'm awesome, but I'm saying like, even if I was the cream of the crop of, of these right. 40 students who are all excellent, if I just get one professor that doesn't like me, or if there's, if there's, you know, if, if I get a script that doesn't attach enough of my classmates, then, then I'm going to be working, you know, sound design. You know, right. and, sure. and sound design is awesome. And, and I had some super talented friends that were that were soundies, that were editors, that were all of these other hugely important positions. But what annoyed me most was that they were so talented and and you could tell that the sound was the best part of the short that they were on. The editing was the best part of the short they were on because their director got there through a political, you know, yeah. track. And that's, right. that's, that's pretty much how it works. I mean, it's like, that's, that's how it's, it's it works in Hollywood really is it's like, it's, it's who's, who's friends with this studio executive and that sort of thing. So it's not like I've seen the thing and, oh, this isn't how it's going to work. It was like, I, I, you know, how it works has filtered its way now into film school. And I don't want to roll the dice on, on having to spend a whole year not being a director. Right. Sure. And so that was why I, I stuck with cinema studies and I, I did as much independent stuff as I could. I, I minored in screenwriting uh, towards the end of it, uh, took some classes in the comedy minor, and it took a lot, a lot of their business of cinematic arts classes. Mm, and I think okay. that's where I really, really enjoyed uh, school the most towards the end, because that's, that's really what's so, that's the fallacy of film school nowadays is with the dawn of YouTube, with the dawn of, of podcasts, you know, yeah. you, you don't, you don't need to, to sit in a classroom to learn how to be a filmmaker, especially since you don't need a degree, you know, to be a film, you know, my, my fiance needs a degree to be a pharmacist. Right. No, they will you are not allowed to become a pharmacist, no matter how many <laughs> podcasts you listen to about, uh, you know, Zomaflax and, and Floraflan and, and Frenectomy and, you know, those, those aren't real words. Um, 
but but you know anybody can be a filmmaker and, and so so i think that the business classes were what i really enjoyed because it was very much the dollars and cents that i talked about on the ama that mm-hmm. i think is is kind of been refreshing to a lot of the filmmakers i've talked to since doing the ama a couple of weeks ago because no one talks about that and i think yeah. that it's something that we've all sort of collectively realized we need to be talking about right um, yes. because otherwise you're just going to have a one-off movie it's it's going to do moderate to poorly and, and you're going to, and that's it, you know, and, and it's going to, you know, there's so many one-offs out there or, or it's going to sour you to the industry into the way it works. Right. And yeah. so I, I, I saw that kind of coming. And so I just started taking as many classes as I could because the film studies courses don't really prepare you for uh, a career in directing. They kind right. of give you, here's, here's something you can take to film festivals and then start your career. And right. even I've got, even got thoughts about film festivals too, that, that I'm happy to, to talk about where it's like film festivals are absolutely not what they used to be, especially when it comes to careers. Yeah, yeah, well, I remember reading that in your AMA, um, and that, which was an interesting, that was an interesting point too, because there's, you hear different things from different folks, um, particularly, um, you know, folks get, some folks and some directors I've talked to, like they got recognized at a festival, so for them, festivals are um, this amazing thing, but it's, um yeah the film school i definitely felt this was there was the disconnect there's a very large disconnect that and i even left film school and then had to kind of rediscover discover it which was the business you know taking okay you want to do directing for a living what is the dollars and cents what is the all the contracts and whatnot you know that is just this huge chunk that is completely just left out. And it's like, there's this very large gap that I guess teachers just think that you have to jump. Um, or well, they... and it has a lot to do with the, with the, um, the conceit of film school, whichever one it may be. And that's the idea that, that the school believes that you are there in order to make a film that will start your career. And, and five years ago, that was, that still worked. 10 years ago, that definitely still worked. But, but since then, not so much. Right. Well, do you think it's also that there's a new, and I don't have a yes or no about this, do you think there's a new potential for making um, that low budget feature and then immediately getting it sold or getting it, you know, bypassing festivals? Do you think that's a new avenue that wasn't available five to 10 years ago? Absolutely. Uh, it's, it's kind of funny because I think, you know, festivals in, in, the, in the beginning were, were the, the, the proving grounds for bypassing the studios, you know, be, mm-hmm. being able to get distribution in the first place because you went to a festival. Right. Um, and, and that was back when distribution deals were very good and, and really benefited everybody and they weren't necessarily, you know, squandering things like, like, they, like can happen now. Right. Um, so, so I think that it's kind of funny because now festivals are sort of the new studio. In the right. sense that if you get into a festival, you're not guaranteed anything anymore. I mean, it's mm-hmm. even if you get a distribution deal, even if, I mean, I, I was following the Thunder Road team so closely throughout their entire festival journey. Yeah. And, yeah. and they were, and they, I, I talked with, with Ben over there and he was giving me the, the deets on it. And it's like, they were, they were just blowing out the festivals right and left. And, um, and then in the end, their, their distribution offers were kind of weird. You know, it's like yeah. they were kind of like what they started to ask was, well, what what about you can do? Can we what about what you can do? Can we not do? Right. And and they were like, oh, placement, you know, it's like I but even even placement, you know, you kind of start to realize, well, I, uh, yes and no. Um, and, and so I think that it's it's now with with festivals, it, it the studios have realized the value of festivals and it's turned into sort of a new marketing thing. And so now that the studios are involved in festivals, it's there's mm-hmm. a lot more money in the festivals. There there's a lot more um there are just so many bigger fish in festivals. And that's why, you know, it's so hard to get a feature into Sundance now is be, is not because you need a movie star or because you have to have a perfect movie. But because there are so many either there's so many movies with movie stars that are now in Sundance in competition mm-hmm. that that your movie kind of has to be perfect or you have to have gotten super lucky with casting to even have a chance at getting it or you have to, you know, know, know one of the, the 
So, so it's, it's, and, and, you know, there are 110 films that play Sundance every year, you know, I'm sure 10 or 20 of them have movie stars, the other, you know, 60 or 70 really do have merit, but half right. of them are documentary. You start to talk about, okay, getting a narrative feature into Sundance, then that's where I'm saying it really comes down to 20 a year, you know, or, or right. something like that, where it's like, it is a much lower number than even, you know, going into it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and even, you know, again, even if you play Sundance, it's like, okay, do you have money for a publicist? Do you have money for, you know, and then if you, and then again, what is the, what is the dollar and cents of that? What's the return? And it's not that good, especially right. across the board. So, so that's where I very quickly was like, you know what, you, you, you don't need film festivals, you need distribution, right? You know, bypass the film festivals. Um, don't, don't spend 50 bucks times 10 times 20 times 40 on on people that are that are essentially just taking your money right um because there's so many film festivals out there now that it's like anyone can can start a film festival and as long as it's it's just like you know kind of movie as long as you got a good poster as long as you got you know a a good cover you know banner or whatever um people are going to find you in film freeway they're going to give you anywhere from 25 to 90 dollars and and like the and and i'll even i'm i'll gladly say this the beverly hills film festival 90 dollars submission fee I picked it because it fell within our very short festival window. Mm-hmm. It would have been a nice West Coast premiere for all of our talent on the West Coast for Last Whistle, um, and and it would, I would have felt the ninety dollars was was worthwhile. Uh, we didn't get in. I was bummed, but I went and checked. We we used Indie.tv for our screeners. They hadn't mm-hmm. watched it. They they watched all together probably five ten minutes of the movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah and yeah. and if I'm if I'm paying twenty five dollars to the Montgomery Alabama Film Festival, I'm going to be like, okay, you, you obviously being a cheap submission fee, you got a lot of people submitting. You didn't have time to watch. That's fine. Right. But like ninety bucks, it's like the least you can do is is put it on play, walk away from it, decide it's not for you, and come back. Like it just you know. So, so I, you know, I, like, I will just say right now to the world, don't submit to the Beverly Hills Film Festival. But I think that it's, it's, it's a lot of film festivals out there. It's yeah. that they're not, they're not going to watch the whole movie. They're not going to, they're just going to take your money. Right. Um, and, and so I think that that's the other part of film festivals that even, you know, the big guys I've got my problems with, the little guys I've got my problems with. And I think that there are only a few sort of medium players that, that I think are really doing it right for indie filmmakers that want that same experience that that redford uh you know tried to create with founding the sundance film festival right um so let's because i want to get to the last whistle how did that start let's talk about pre-production like how did things get rolling and oh you know let me let me mention one more thing on the festival before i forget so i think that i was a little wrong with some of the thing, my hypothesis for festivals. And where I was wrong was that if if you don't have a movie that can play at least like a major city festival, or if you don't do something that, you know, there are sort of those like the Seattle Film Festival, Raindance, you know, uh, New York, you know. So so it's like, if you come to a distributor without those laurels, they'll mm-hmm. just assume that, it, that it's bad because it didn't play a big festival. Right. Um, and so that was something that we, ra- that we actually ran into where it's like the, some of the distributors got our movie and they were like, oh, this seems kind of schlocky. And they watched it and they were like, oh, it's, oh, it's, it's not bad. What, what we yeah. thought it was going to be bad. And I was like, well, why'd you think it was going to be bad? And they're like, well, you only played these, these certain festivals and we never heard of them. And it was like, okay, that's interesting that, you know, you, yeah. so, so I, I think that my advice would be obviously premiere at, at, at the biggest festival that you can. What we chose to do was premiere at the hometown festival where we, where we filmed it to try to start our grassroots audience. And I think gotcha. that that worked to some extent. Um, gotcha. But I but I did not think about the fact that the distributors rely so heavily on film festivals to tell them whether a movie is good or not. Sure. And they're so, looking for the laurels, at least a few of them. Yeah. And mm-hmm. and and so I, that's that's neither here nor there. But I think that that's that's kind of what I thought about going festivals going in, what I kind of realized in the end. And that's that's kind of the same way I felt about having a star in your movie. It's like going into it. I was like, you don't have to if you have a core audience. And now on the other end, it's like, wow, it would be a lot easier, even if you do have that core audience. Because at least you can just, you know, check the boxes for all the people that only care about that, you know. Sure, so I, sure. I've got more to say about that. But anyway, The Last Whistle um, began with the, with the, the thought um, in August of 2017. So uh, about two years ago this week um, was really the genesis of The Last Whistle. Mm. Um, at the time, it was called For a Loss. Um, 
it was born through Robert Rodriguez's Rebel Without a Crew TV series. Okay. Which played on yep. El Rey and was on Verizon Go 90 for the last year of Go 90's life. <laughs> right, um, right. Uh, before it before it Epstein. Um, and and that's yes, but based on the rule of thirds, we will get one more one more Epstein. One more Epstein the the I love the yeah. topicality of it. Oh, it's horrendous. Um, so so TV series, basically Project Greenlight, but run by Dale Mariachi guy and right. and um and and the hero of indie filmmakers everywhere. And and just just a cool opportunity. And and so at the time I had just had a project fall through. Uh, we had we had had a I wanted to do like a like a church comedy, um, and the and the we had one investor for that one who was interested, and then he kind of left the country and went off and did his own thing. And you know his business plan wasn't what uh, he thought it was going to be when he first came on, and and felt, dropped out. Project fell apart. Gotcha. So I'm sitting here with with nothing at this point, and I'm you know just beating my head against the wall, being like, "This is you know come like I I graduated in May, now it's August, and and what am I doing? You know, like I really really wanted to go out and do something before, you know, I need to go get serious and do a nine to five, and I was already in that place too. I mean, I was doing a nine to five at the time, but I was like, you know, before I start to really advance at this company or whatever company, like I I want to you know do this thing so that I'm not risking you know, a career in, right. in X number of years. And that's obviously, that's not the only way to do it, but it's the way that I wanted to do it. I mm -hmm. wanted to go gung ho. I wanted to go all in. I wanted to, you know, just whether, you know, go into debt or whatever may have you for a year and just, just put everything into, into the first thing and see, right. see where it went. Um, so I was, I was just, I was totally uh, kicking myself at this point. And it was at that time that they that they opened up that contest. And and mm -hmm. so I really put everything into that contest. I was like, uh, but that's where I, I had to come up with with a new movie idea because I never written anything that was that low budget before for seven thousand dollars. And so that was where I came up with this idea of, OK, we've got this coach and and he's at the center of this firestorm. And and this is a, a story that I've seen happen so many times in so many places. That's something that's, you know. It's not based on a true story, but, you know, people might think it is, you know, right. luckily not in a litigious sense, but just like I've had a lot of people say, oh, this is based on the thing that happened in city X or in right. state Y. And I'm like, well, yes and no, because it's that's the one that you've heard of. But this happens like 100 times a year. You know, right. it's like it's it's everywhere. So that was that was the genesis of the idea. And and I didn't get into the project. And I and I actually heard later on that the show actually picked people and then axed them and picked new people um, because they oh. wanted people that would look good on screen, not so much the best movies. Wow. Um, so, so of the five they picked, I think only one or two of them had like workable films, like all the films yeah. showed at South by and, and I can't imagine. And, and, and from what I'd seen on the show, I watched every episode of the show. I love the show. I mean, I, I'm a project green light fanatic. And so rebel yeah. without a crew was like, cool, I'm here for this. It's, it's Texas, you know? Right. Um, even though I didn't get in, I wasn't, I wasn't, I mean, I, I was bitter, but I wasn't too so bitter that I couldn't watch the show. Right. Um, but anyway, it was so, so the show kind of, it was, it was, it was a, a blessing in disguise that I didn't get into the show because, um, I don't even know where you would watch the show now. It's, it's totally, it's totally gone. And I think that, only one or two of the people that were on the show are kind of, you know, really coming along now in their, yeah. in their careers. And, and, and a lot of the show too was like, okay, we're going to take away all your resources so that this is a dramatic filmmaking experience, not a successful one. Right. And so I could see that happening. And I was like, oh man, this would have been a mess. So, so at that point I took it to some friends and I was like, Hey, I just got rejected for this thing. But you know, my friends who all wanted to, you know, a friend or two wanted to be producers later on. And they were, mm -hmm. they were juniors about to be juniors, about to be seniors at USC at the time. And I was like, what do you think about this movie? And, and, and I had my friend, Mike and my friend, Max, they both got super excited about it. They were like, there's so many things about this that are, that are marketable, that this could be a good movie, that this could, you know, be done for this budget level you know, it really hits all the, the marks. And I was right. like, I was like, yeah, that's, that's kind of what I feel about it too. It really does have sort of that, you know, lightning in a bottle sense where it's like, 
you know, you can kind of, you can kind of feel that there's, there's already momentum to it. Right. And so, so they, they came on at that point, early September, I rewrote the script for a $50,000 budget range. Mm -hmm. Um, We really started to look at, you know, other, you know, budgets. I had been a producer on a, on a hundred thousand dollar movie a few years before. And so I kind of knew what to look for there. We did some more calculations. We did some more, you know, I went to the, to my hometown high school and I said, Hey, what's, can we film here? And they said, you bet, you know, and, and so that was kind of where the gears started to roll and we were like, okay, let's, let's make our, you know, and so I think the budget in the end, we were going for 94,000 and we ended up with just over a hundred thousand gotcha. um, because right. whenever we got down to the wire, um, that was when more investors kind of came in right at the end and were like, oh, the, the train's moving. We want to jump on. Right. And, and so it was a very interesting game where it's like people only want to be on a train that's moving. To move the train, you have to spend money on, you right. know, on the coals. But the only money you have is from people that are already on the train. So it's like you don't want to start spending investors' money just to get other investors, you know, just because you think that other investors are going to jump on at the end. Right. And so it was a very catch twenty two scenario where it was like, I'm not going to go raise all the money for for production and then go have to go get all the money for post production. I want it all when we start on day one. You know, right. otherwise I'm not. I'm, I'm shutting it down. Like where I'm not here to to either, you know, get us sued, to get somebody angry at us, to waste a cent of somebody's money. Right. And, and I think that, that that mentality as we went into the fundraising was was crucial because I think that there aren't a lot of filmmakers that think that way. They, the second that the money shows up in the bank account, even if it's just $1,000, they think, oh, well, this investor cares about art. They're, they're just right. happy to see the movie made, you know? And, and I think that that was a mentality I'd seen on so many things before. And, and every time I was like, I was like, no, they, they, they're here to make money. Like that's, right. that's what they want to do. Like, don't, don't fool yourself that that's not the case. And it's good if they care about the art. It's good if they are excited about the movie. Um, but, but, but do everything you can to make the money back. And then when you finally have that final number, then go back to them and be like, Hey, here's, here's what I got you. Um, whether it's, you know, 50% of what you put in hundred percent, 150%, you know, here it is. I busted my butt to get this for you. Thank you yeah. for believing in me, um, you know, essentially. And, right. and then at that point, let them be like, well, I'm just excited about the art. You know, it's like right. that's but but it's it's, it's not usually going to happen. So um, it, over the winter of 2017, 2018, we were doing we were fundraising. We were doing a lot of cold calls. We talked about the idea of doing a Kickstarter. And, and the idea was the money, the time and, and expense that we would put toward a Kickstarter would a dilute people that I want to pre-order the movie. Because right. I want to, I want to boost the the algorithmic numbers, mm-hmm. so I dilute that, and at the same time, it would take so much time to put together a well crafted Kickstarter pitch for the money that I think that we can get doing a Kickstarter. I don't think it's worth it. it right. Like all around, it would just did not seem worth it. I didn't see myself raising fifty thousand dollars on Kickstarter. Right, I, I had been involved in one before. It had raised like three thousand dollars, and and I knew that it was not. Like we, we just, we, we didn't have what we needed and it would be a waste of time. Right. And it would be like, we, the amount of time that we put into it, we could find somebody that would give us $5,000 in that same amount of time. Right. You know, and so it was, it was just, it did not make dollars and cents to do a Kickstarter. And I think that's, that's another thing that's, that's crucial is like, do you do it or not? And, and does your project need one or not? Does it ask mm-hmm. for one or not? And I think that every project's different in that way. And that was something I think somebody asked about on the AMA too, that I kind of, kind of tried to get into. And I, um, so, so then we get into sort of spring and we've got half the money at that point, two thirds of the money at that point, we're kind of seeing the shoot dates start of, start to crystallize. We've got the, the week or two, whenever the school is empty between, uh, spring semester and summer workouts, Right. we know the time when I can get my brother's friends from football to come out for a weekend and, and to run around and run plays for us on camera you know, it's like the stars were aligning. Right. And in, in the same way, they were aligning in a way to where I knew that they weren't going to do it again. Mm -hmm. The the producers were not going to still be in school anymore. They were going to have jobs. I was going to have to start paying bills sooner or later. Um, The actors we had involved were going to be too big a year from then for us to be able to cast them um, and pay them uh, properly. Uh, it's just like all the stars were aligning. It was like, okay, this is, this is when it has to happen. And that's the hard thing about a hundred thousand dollar movie is you can't really sit on it and wait for the perfect moment to come because you're working off of so many favors and so many, 
you know, uh, things that are going your way that it's, it's, that's, that's the hard part. So we get into like April of 2018 and the last financing comes in, we start to attach cast, the rest of the cast. Um, a big moment was when we attached Jim O'Hare, who everyone knows is Jerry Gergich. And, um, and so whenever we announced that, it's like, that was the moment when I think that was kind of one of our last big, like momentum advances was it was like, this is happening. Um, this is a real movie. You know, that was the thing that we got all the time was, oh, this is a real movie. Right. You know, and, and it's right. not that that we had something that played in, in 4,000 theaters, but it was something that people had seen the movies I had made and they thought I was going to run around with, with the T2I and film my brothers again, right. you know. And so it was like just that legitimacy was so, so difficult. Um, and that's just the challenge with the first one is you really, even if you have a short that's won Sundance, I think it's still hard to have that legitimacy going into it. Well, and can I pause you right there and ask, like, how at that point when you were, um, how big was the team? Like, you know, was it just you and the two other producers reaching out? And how were you, how were you contacting like Jim, Jim O'Hare? And how were those conversations like first started? So, so I, I would start by saying, okay, I'm, I'm going to do everything I can myself. Mm-hmm. If I feel like I'm getting overloaded, I'll give it off to you guys because none of us are getting paid for our time, but because this is my movie, I'm going to take on as much of the work as I can. Right. So I was sort of doing a nine to five, six days a week, nine to seven, six days a week, just emails, calls, contracts, uh, scheduling, um, X, Y, and Z. And Mike, Max, and then Thomas, who came on uh, pretty soon after we started, cold messaged me on Facebook, said, I want to get into this. He, he and I were friends from from Dallas, Fort Worth, and I was like, "Dude, yes, let's." We we met at World of Beards like two weeks later, and boom, he was in. And, yeah. and so it's like the the four of us were were working uh, as a team. But it's like you know, especially the three of them would have you know they had a, something they had to study for. They had you know something at work coming up. So it was like it was all about figuring out which between Mike, Max, and Thomas were able to take on what duties that week, and then just try to take on as much as I could myself in a way that it wouldn't, you know, fall through the cracks. And then of right. course, when we're talking about the sort of month of production, everybody was, was, you know, full, full steam ahead yeah. at that point. There, no, there was, there were no issues with that. And there were no issues before. I mean, really it was, it was a really good, that was sort of the, the core team. We also had Eric and Santy Nelson who were, who are executive producers on the film. They're in the film and they were awesome because they were sort of working as, as our casting arm. Okay. Uh, we, I wanted a casting director. I tried to hire casting directors that had done similar movies and, and I, I don't know, I just, none of them would email me back or respond. And I was like, I was like, I'll pay you this much. Like, you know, hello, hello. Yeah. And, and I mean, nothing. So I, I don't know. I, I, there were a lot of things where I really felt like I was out of my depth, but I didn't have time to sit there and be like, well, I don't know. I guess I'll figure it out when a casting director emails me back. It was like, we have to have this movie cast in six weeks. Like I, it's it i i have to keep going and right. if they're going to run up behind me and and i can pass the baton back to them and let them continue head great but but i'm running i'm running a 400 um expecting to be solo and if someone joins me along the track and it turns into a relay awesome right um but i have to make i have to get the baton around the track in this amount of time uh with or without help yeah. and so luckily with a lot of the situations i did have someone come up and grab the baton Mm-hmm. And, and that was that was awesome. That, and that's what made the movie possible. And I and I put it all into like a little handbook that I called Rebel with a Crew, not because I'm a rebel, but because I definitely had a crew. You know, yeah. I was not running around on my own doing all these things. I had a huge amount of help. So Eric and Sainty were great because they were going to all of their friends and connections, whether they were A-listers, B-listers, or people just starting out and saying, hey, here's this movie. It's small. We are all behind this um will you be in this movie it's it's ulb they got you know they'll give you you know some some people come away with back end points but it's like it's it's this is going to be sort of the beginning of, of many things to come so mm-hmm. you know can you can you join in and and so they were awesome because they were handling a lot of the they were casting the the medium-sized roles you know gotcha. and, and at the same time introducing me to actors who could be in the starring roles and and mm-hmm. i even on my wall, I, I laminated an email from one of the actors saying, can't do the movie, doesn't work with my schedule, uh, my manager's super greedy, uh, he doesn't, you, you know, you're not paying enough for him, uh, but 
love the script. It's going to be great. Good luck. And it's like this, this was an actor that I had, I had watched for many years. And so I was like, this is the best rejection letter I've ever gotten, you yeah. know, like, and I, I printed it out. I, I, I put, I framed it, you know, and it was, it was crushing, but it was awesome all at the same time. And, and so it was, it was, it was a very roller coaster number of weeks. Um, but luckily we never reached that point where it was like, well, I, maybe the movie's not, maybe I'm going to wake up tomorrow morning. The movie's not going to be happening anymore right. because there had been so much prep and because there were so many contingency plans that, that I never worried that we weren't going to have a movie. Mm -hmm. I was worried that we were going to have a movie that lacked quality at a sure. certain point. And that was my whole goal was let's make a medium movie. Let's not, we're not out here to win Sundance, but we're not out here to have a movie that the quality just totally drops off at a certain point, right? which can right. very easily happen on that budget level. Yeah. And then we, we shot it for 13 days at the end of May. Uh, we had an assembly put together two weeks after, three weeks after, thanks to some quick work by our assistant editor. Um, but anyway, that's, that, that's the long story long of how big was the team at that point, because it really was those five players as well as like at least five to 10 more other people that were sort of, you know, helping facilitate other things, starting work on, on what they were going to do. Our DP was involved from day one because we wanted to make sure that, you know, we had Brian and what he would bring to the table. It was kind of planned around his minimum equipment ask. And so we were shooting on Falcon eyes, Canon C300. Um, we only shot one day on red. We only shot, you know, we, the other 12 and a half days were, were Canon. So it was like, it was, it was a lot of, a lot of things like that. Gotcha. So moving into production, how big was the crew and the cast and. And this was, this was, okay. So this was a good question because this is something that I, that I had trouble with on the AMA was somebody commented, I think like, Hey, union, union art department here. How much did you pay your crew? And it was, that. it was snarky. It was mean. Um, and, and I think that that one actually turned out okay, because I think I answered those questions a lot better than the other ones did. Um, we, we paid everybody fine. Everybody got paid except the, the PAs, the PAs were allowed to come and go as, as, as they wanted. We didn't work them longer than six to eight hours a day. Um, and definitely not for all 13 days. Um, but the, the key was that, that our crew was small. We were working mm -hmm. with just above a skeleton crew for the entire thing. We right. had, we had DP, uh, first AC, second AC. We had first AD, second AD. We had two to five PAs on a given day. Right. Um, we had makeup, we had costumes, um, and we had DIT and gotcha. and three producers and that was it and were you and the producers getting paid no gotcha. so so the producers and i all all did back end everybody else paid. gotcha well but definitely no one no one made expense to be on the project sure, so even sure. the folks that came out we, we brought some people out from california so it's like we're, we're paying their way we're making sure that everybody's fed at least um, but everybody, everybody did get paid except for, except for me and, and the two others. And we, we've got it all in, all in points. And so that was, that was a, a good thing for us to some extent, because we could go to investors, we could go to, to the, to the actors and the agents and say, we don't make money until you do, you know, whether right. it's the investors, it's like, I don't make money until you make back your money plus some for the, right. for the actors. It's like, the points do matter in this negotiation because I'm not taking anything until until the, like those points are my points. You know, we yeah. are we are chained together in this effort, and we're not gonna you know scrounge. You're not gonna uh, scramble the accounting so that your actor doesn't see any of the back end points. Sure, right. So that's our whole goal is let's get to that let's get to that back end uh, situation. Hey guys, just wanted to remind you that not only can you find the Full Frame Podcast on HMD's website, www.hmdfilms.com, but you can find us on Facebook, and most importantly, you can find us on iTunes, where we would really like if you could leave a review and subscribe. Thanks. Have a great week.